if I'm doing a push-up and the form of my push-up requires a certain look to it or a certain way I'm doing these push-ups. And then all of a sudden I can do about five good reps. And then when I get to six, there's a compensation in my form. So now neurologically, that pathway that dictates how I move that push-up, now it's changing a bit because now my body's asking me to do something else. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. What's up, everyone? I hope everyone had an awesome weekend. It feels like we are finally starting to phase out of quarantine. It's interesting because I know there are going to be lots of phases to this as we all slowly try to work our way back to some level of normalcy. I think the thing that I'm coming to terms with is that the way that we go to the grocery store, the way that we walk down the street, the way that we get together with friends is going to be different for a really long time. It's going to be a really long time before I walk up to a friend and hug them without a second thought. Everyone has such different comfort levels right now, and I know it's been a lot for everyone to process. In Toronto, the weather has definitely changed to summer weather in the last week, which has been beautiful. It's also meant that since people are so fatigued by quarantine, it's meant that people have gotten pretty lax about the social distancing measures, And it's been weird to see because I think there's one group of people on one end of the spectrum that is has changed nothing and wants to maintain the same rigidity to protect themselves, which is totally fair and valid. And then there's another group of people on the other end of the spectrum that are like, screw it. I'm going back to normal life. I'm over this. I'm willing to take my chances. Who knows? I don't think one is necessarily right or wrong. I think there's just still still so much that is so uncertain that we couldn't know. But it's going to be interesting trying to rationalize all these different viewpoints as we slowly start opening things back up and start being able to congregate in bigger and bigger groups. I'm really fascinated to see how it all pans out because I think we are just going to continue to learn about the nature of our communities and our society and continue to learn about what matters to people. So it'll be very interesting. This week on the podcast, I have a really cool episode to share with you. If you are someone who loves the gym, if you are someone who loves training, if you're someone who loves to know the why behind your training program and exercises and what you're doing week to week, then this episode is going to be right up your alley. This week, I brought Satish on the podcast, who is a trainer with Fit Squad. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's also certified in Strong First Level 1 and 2, and very indicative of his passion for training and his commitment to lifelong learning. He has quite a slew of other certifications and courses that he has taken as well, but What I know of him is that he is an awesome trainer and he's someone that I have personally looked up to and also sought advice from in the past. As you'll hear in this podcast, he's been involved with sports and athletics for most of his life and his passion for fitness really grew out of an interest in enhancing performance and preventing injuries. He has a deep understanding of anatomy, biomechanics, and exercise physiology, and his approach is grounded in strength training, but then also incorporates structural balance, body weight training, and conditioning, and he talks about all of those things in the podcast. Satish believes that we should all strive to find our true potential and to become stronger than we were yesterday. He also believes that with a smart approach, along with some good old-fashioned grit and hard work, anyone can reach their goals. And you can tell from this podcast how much he loves helping his clients reach their goals, which I respect him for so much. I'm proud to call Satish a friend, and even though we don't train out of the same gym anymore because Fit Squad built their new awesome facility in downtown Toronto, it was great to reconnect with him and get to talk about all things training 
kettlebells, programming, periodization, so many good things in this podcast. So I'm not going to go into any more detail because I'm really excited for you guys to listen. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Satish Swaran. Hi, Satish. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I am pumped to get to talk to you today. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. How do you feel about at-home workouts? Have you been hitting a lot of at-home workouts over there? Yeah, that's literally all I can do. Mixed feelings about it. Uh, at first, I had a lot of resistance because I've always had a gym membership, so I've always trained at the gym. Uh, this is the first time ever where I had to get accustomed to training at home, and that's been a bit of an obstacle at first. Especially the first two weeks, there was a lot of like, oh, I could just sit down on the sofa and just relax instead of doing the set. I think it's important, like that attachment to wherever you're training. Mm-hmm. If you do have the luxury where you can go to a separate room, that would be huge. Like I know you train out by your patio, which is a big win as well too. So if you yeah. do have that luxury, that's huge. Me, unfortunately, I just have uh, my living room. So it's just kind of like turning on the music, putting myself in a different mindset and staying locked in. So it's been a bit of an obstacle, but uh, I find I have managed to make it work so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much about creating the environment that puts your mind in the mindset of now it's workout time, not chill on the couch time. Makes a big difference. So teach what's your background again? Have you literally been going to the gym your whole life? You used to be an athlete, right? Yeah. 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 I used, I, I played sports, every sport up until high school. And I didn't start training or working out. Uh, most of the training was specific to sports. So I predominantly played basketball, like growing up at a very small household. So often going getting outside was the easiest way you can get some like escape time. Mm-hmm. So you either go outside to chill, which you couldn't really get an excuse from leaving the house for from your mom. But if you went outside to play sports, then they're like, all right, you can get out of here. So I was active very young. As soon as I could be, my, me and my brother would go outside whenever we could. Um, basketball was the cheapest sport you can play because <laughs> all you needed was a basketball net and then basketball, like hockey. I couldn't do hockey. Yeah. Uh, so it, it ended up gravitating towards like soccer and basketball. I think it was until when I was in grade 11 and I was pretty good in most sports teams and on my basketball senior team, if you're in grade 11, you're playing for the senior team. So grade 11 and 12. So there's still like the competitive bigger guys in grade 12. And the difference between 17 and 18, there's quite a bit of a difference in terms of when puberty hits you. They didn't mm-hmm. hit me then. Were you late? <laughs> yeah, I was late. I was late. And so I, my position got taken away from me by a, a bigger guy. And so it was kind of that year where it was like, okay, how can I come back? I wasn't always the most athletic, definitely a skinny kid in high school. So it was like, how can I come back and outwork some of these guys? And then that's when I kind of get into training. And I spent that summer and I think... I went from a skinny 150 to like a 165. So like 15 pounds. And you and I both know it's probably not all muscle. But uh, I started <laughs> eating more. The stuff we got in, into a, a training regimen. And then it kind of put on solid size for me. And then I went back the next season. My coach was like, look at this guy. This guy looked like most people, most kids who spend uh, the summer off tend to come back a little chunkier and fatter because it's the summertime, right? Yeah. <laughs> it came back with a bit more shape. And then that's what kind of uh, started the, the addiction, quote unquote. I, I started to feel this like success with training and this sense of like ownership and independence. Mm-hmm. And so it just led to, I never stopped. I think from high school, I've never had more than two weeks off from the gym, which can sound extreme for sure, but it's just who I am. I find it as like a place of solitude, a place of escape. And probably you're, you're similar in that sense, right? Like moving is important for you, right? Yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's such a component of my mental health and feeling, and feeling my best self in general. And, mm-hmm. and I liked how you said that. Like for me, it is a lot about just movements. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be, I grew up as a dancer. And I actually didn't see the gym at all until a couple years before I became a trainer. I really like became interested in strength training and fell in love with it. But movement has been such a part of my DNA for my whole life. And so if I were to take, like, I can't even imagine taking time off of movement because to me, that's just me being human. Like, that's such a part of me. I don't think of it as work. Yeah, it's interesting. Just on that note, like last year, Kanila and I, we went to Thailand. And um, the whole time we were there, the one thing we posted was us working out. (laughs) And then we had a bunch of people like reach out to us and like, 
hey, you guys on vacation, enjoy yourself. But to us, we're like, this is what we are. Means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Vacation means waking up late, training, and then, I mean, sightseeing afterwards. Yeah. I totally relate to that. It's so funny because I do the same thing. It's one of my favorite parts of vacation is not having to squeeze my workout in between clients and only having an hour to do it and feeling stressed out by it, being able to take my time and try different kinds of movements. And my husband and I always train when we're on vacation as well, because we yeah. love it. And we, we see it as such a fun thing. It's like such a different mindset. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can, you can be a bit more creative at least on vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. So Speaking of your at-home workouts, what are some of your favorite exercises that you've been doing and finding effective? Mm. To me, with my, my training routines kind of evolved. In my later years, I've gravitated more towards full body routine and definitely ways. I like the, a mixed training approach. So where I can start uh, with some sort of power element, but then strength, getting into a bit of hypertrophy and then finally finishing with a bit of conditioning. And I kind of mm-hmm. like that split. Um, when I was in the gym, how I did it is I organized my goal. So if I had a strength day, that would just be my strength day. And then I have a hypertrophy day and then a conditioning day. But since training at home, I've kind of narrowed it down where I have a mixed approach. So I'm just doing strength, power, and conditioning kind of in the same day, but reducing my total frequency. So I'm now I'm going down to just three times a week of training and increasing my physical activity. So more intentional walks if that makes sense just kind of getting out like before i'd go to the gym more often because it would force me out of the house but now because the gym's my living room it's harder to oh i find when i have more structured workouts i'm staying home more so now it's less frequent structured workouts and more intention to go outside and do like i actually just got a little puppy because i want to get into what yeah like you got a puppy not, it's coming. It's soon. It's like a week or two away. Gosh, yeah, that's so exciting. It kind of uh, gives you this obligation to go outside, build responsibility, uh, constant daily walks. And I think that's very important for your health as well, too. So anyways, to come back to your question, full circle, that's kind of the mindset with training. And since training at home, the only real tool I have other than my body weight is kettlebells. So I do a lot of kettlebell training, and then the only other tool I have is just a pull-up bar, um, nice. which works pretty well. And yeah. I find with the kettlebell, I'm able to get my breakdown of power, strength, hypertrophy, and in a bit of conditioning. So I think it's not so much the tool you use that dictates the workout, but the principles you use that dictate the workout. And the tools can kind of just be uh, how you decide to use that principle. Okay, cool. Yeah. So can you break that down for us a little bit more? Like, tell me what kinds of stuff you're doing during your power section? Mm -hmm. What kinds of stuff are you concentrating on during strength? Mm -hmm. And then hypertrophy and conditioning? Like, how do those four sections look different? Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of plays into your reps, Uh, your reps and then intentions. So you're looking at force and velocity a bit. Force is kind of like this moving weight. And there's no real indicator of how much speed is put into it. So think about force being like a, a power lifter, that lifting very, very slow. And then velocity at the very extreme is just like starting strength. So like jumping onto a box, right? I find right at how, speed. Yeah. Velocity speed, is your exactly. speed. Yeah. Exactly. And it's kind of always a correlation between the two and they often have a relationship. So I find power being closer towards the speed side. But with using the kettlebell, it still has element of force, but the intention is still how fast can I be? Mm-hmm. And to be fast, that means that I can't really do that many reps. So it's often like I'll do a snatch as a primer for my workout. I'll do maybe three to five reps of a snatch, three to four sets of just the kettlebell snatch, getting over my head, making sure I'm nice and fast. But at the same time, I'm, not, I'm managing fatigue the best I can. Mm-hmm. Then when I get into strength, it's more reps of... Usually my reps stay around five, three to five reps. And how I like to increase my intensity is just by increasing sets. Okay, cool. Yeah, with my strength movements, now it's coming a bit slower down and more on the the force side of things. So my main strength movement now might sound a little strange, but it's a clean and press. So usually when you hear clean and jerk elements, you're thinking a lot of power, power, power. But... Based on the pressing element, that's what makes it my strength. 
Mm-hmm. And then my hypertrophy is usually anything else I'm lacking in that day. So now a lot of my legs work, a lot of accessories. So my back, my chest, and usually the rep schemes there is around eight to 12. I find works pretty well. And then conditioning is just how I feel. I play <laughs> around with that. I, I think it's important that you finish a workout on what stimulates you the most amongst you, what makes you feel like you have the most reward. I always felt rewarded at the end of a practice when we were like, going for it and like borderline almost dying. And that's just a personal thing, right? And I think it's important, like for instance, I know like Vanessa, one of the trainers at Fit Squad, she likes at the end of her workout sometimes, she said it feels great, often finished with a bit of a flow. So I think it's important to find what you like and especially now more than ever is finished with something you enjoy. Yeah, 100%. You can take those positive, something you feel successful at for sure, but you could take Mm -hmm. those positive vibes with you the rest of the day. I love that. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Your rep scheme on strength is quite low, three to five. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that a lot of listeners have probably only dabbled in that low of a rep scheme or maybe never worked there before. Mm -hmm. So can you just tell us about building up the skill of strength to be able to do sets of things that are that heavy that you're really only doing three to five reps of the exercise yeah that's i think you raised a good point in your question uh, by saying strength is a skill and it really is it's just like the neurological connection you have with moving a certain load and it's also interesting that you brought up like when will you start experimenting with strength and so it kind of comes back uh, to a question us trainers always get is what do we do first strength or hypertrophy when I first started in training, I had often discussions with other trainers of like, what to do first, three by 10, so three sets of 10 reps, or 10 by three, 10 sets of three reps. And I found with beginners, it's probably more efficient now to spend it in the hypertrophy range and then come towards the strength. So staying at the eight to 12 rep range will allow you to build a bit more awareness of the movement quality and also right. the internal curing of the muscle, right. right? Usually with strength, it's harder. Like if you're doing a heavy squat, how hard is it to really feel your core or your, your quads or your glutes, these isolated uh, muscle groups? You tend to feel systematic fatigue, not necessarily peripheral fatigue. So mm-hmm. like I'm doing a bicep curl, right? But often when you get a bit more reps, you have a better idea of how to isolate a certain muscle group. So I think for those people out there is find what your maybe eight to 10 rep range is. And then mm-hmm. from there, gradually build towards a strength scheme. So collect enough reps at eight. So let's say hypothetically, I'm doing three by eight at a certain weight. The next week I do a double progression model where I'll increase two reps and I'll also increase a bit of load. Mm-hmm. Right. But Again, it really comes down to the person and how well they can maintain form and all these other variables. But once you get three by eight, you can easily just take a couple reps away and just increase load. So now I'm going to do four by six the next week with a slightly heavier load. Next week after, I'm going to do five by six with maybe a five kg increase in load. And then the week after, you get into six by four. Yeah. Right? And get yourself so there. Yeah. Step by step. Right. Exactly. So that's like a very simple linear prog- progression to increasing load. Maybe that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's a, those are great considerations for kind of where to start and how to work yourself towards doing the true strength sets. I think it's weird now, obviously, because a lot of what you're talking about is about progressive overload and what are the different ways that we can do that. But with at-home workouts, many of us don't have a full rack of kettlebells where we can just like increase by 4 kg and then, you know, do a couple fewer reps. Have you found creative ways to progress your workouts at home? Yes. Very good question. So, so usually three variables you can control with periodization, frequency, volume, intensity. So frequency is how often you perform an exercise usually within a week. Mm-hmm. or recruit a certain muscle. Uh, volume would be how many reps and sets and load you're doing. And then intensity would be how heavy that load is relative to your one rep max. So if you were to go as heavy as you can, how relative is that load? Um, another very important method of progression, though, is especially now more than ever, is exercise selection. 
So usually if you can control everything else and you have the luxury to a whole rack of kettlebells or weights, kind of what you're saying, then you can really just play with those three variables. But because now like all I have is two sets of kettlebell, um, exercise selection comes as your next kind of tool you can use to progress. The problem with that though, is a lot harder to progress. So you have to be a much more patient with the exercise you choose. For instance, I start with push-ups on my knees. I work till I get to 12 reps and I work till I get to four sets of 12 reps. And then from there, I'm gonna get into push-ups on my feet and then see where my reps at there. Try to manage fatigue so you can make sure that you're always winning your workout. Like if you're always getting fatigued, your body tends to remember the last rep. Tell me more about that, what do you mean? I think Pavel Tatsaloun, he's the one who kind of gave birth to the concept of greasing the groove. So greasing the groove is kind of a method of training strength that works on neurologically working the most efficient pathway. So for instance, if I'm doing a push-up and the form of my push-up requires a certain look to it or a certain way I'm doing these push-ups, and then all of a sudden I can do about five good reps. And then when I get to six, there's a compensation in my form. So now neurologically, that pathway that dictates how I move that push-up, now it's changing a bit because now my body's asking me to do something else. And so yeah. if I always stop performing, quote-unquote, inefficient reps or bad reps, then that's what my body tends to remember for the following session. So if you can stay within a movement pattern that looks and feels the best, but still work to that upper range, you can manage much better success. And that's often what I do with my clients with pull-ups. So uh, a perfect practical takeaway is let's say a client can do three pull-ups. I mean, sorry, five pull-ups. You only have them do three pull-ups, right? Sets of three. Mm-hmm. And your goal is to increase volume, but never have them do more than three pull-ups for, let's say, a week or two, right? That way they can practice it much more frequently and they're learning the skill a lot better without necessarily reaching fatigue and then compensations happen. Yeah, another way you can think about it too that makes sense to me or tell my clients is um, like you're playing basketball, comes back to basketball. If I'm shooting a bunch of shots and let's say I'm making consistently eight out of 10 in a row and all of a sudden I'm missing 10, you should probably stop there. There's no point to keep putting up shots because you're not gonna make anymore. Now it's time to put that ball away, attack it tomorrow and you'll probably make more shots. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense because every rep that you do, you have to think about your, you're teaching your brain exactly what you're saying. You're grooving the pattern to move in that way. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing reps and they look great and they feel great. And then all of a sudden you start just like grinding it out, but your form is gone. You're teaching your body to do that again. That's such Mm -hmm. a great point. I've never really thought of it that way, but I think that's, that's really the reason behind why we preach quality reps so Mm -hmm. much. And that every rep really should look the same. And the second that you increase the load or increase your volume and the reps stop looking the same, you've gone too far. Exactly. And I think that's uh, that's important, especially training at home. And kind of recircling back to your question is, so let's say now I'm doing push-ups regular now and I'm doing, and I can only manage five reps. I'm going to spend the next few weeks just doing about three to four reps, nothing more than that, and just collecting, increasing my volume there. So my goal is to get 20 push-ups in that week, but never surpassing more than five reps or four reps within a set. Mm-hmm. And then as you gradually progress there, then you see two things happen. Like you get the skill acquisition between from the movement. And then from there, you also get muscle hypertrophy, which is a win-win, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's interesting. I think one of the things that I've learned more that's really become ingrained in me more since training in quarantine and doing all of my at-home workouts, which I've been using kettlebells a lot as well. But I think I've really started to understand the benefit of training with sub-maximal loads. Mm. And I always knew how beneficial that was. But when you're in the gym and it's always available to like squeak the weight up a little bit more, like maybe I can push a bit more. I think I, I have this brain where I always just wanted to do it. But now I have set loads. And so I'm performing many reps at a load that's not the heaviest that I could do, but I'm realizing that I'm gaining so much connection to the movements that I'm doing because of that. And I'm gaining ownership over the weights in a new way that it's, it's really helping me to realize how beneficial that is. And I'm for sure going to keep doing that now once we're back in the gym and I do have all the options of weights. 
Yeah, it, it's cool because especially that you mentioned kettlebells, because you notice in kettlebells, especially in comparison to like uh, other modalities, such so as plates, the increments of jumps. Only in kettlebells do you see like a four kg increment in jump. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a bit of a lesson, whoever's making kettlebells, giving everyone else in the world, is that you can't sneak up to your weight. So when I'm doing like a bench press and let's say 225 feels good, say, all right, let's try 240. Let's see how that guy feels. Because that's just what, like uh, 7.5 per side, right? Yeah. Like you can sneak that weight on and creep up to a weight that your body actually handled. But let's say with uh, kettlebell training, I have a 16 kg bell and I'm pressing it for two reps. And then the next kettlebell size is 20 kg. There's no way I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to try the 20 kg because that's, that's a whole like 10, 12 pound jump. So there's um, the kettlebells keep you honest and it kind of instills the principle of like volume before load. So collect enough reps, enough skill within the movement before you can think about creeping up to a heavier weight. Yeah, that's so true. So interesting. I've never really thought about it that way before, but you're exactly right. Super cool. I love kettlebell training for that reason. So you can often stick with a bell. Like I've been with the same size bell for the last uh, eight weeks, you know, and my strength has definitely gone up. And so you have to be a bit more creative in how you organize your training because the, like kind of what you said, you cannot manipulate the load so much. And you know, this is the only bell you're stuck with. But what's cool about that though, it teaches the same principles you want to do with body weight training because it really is your own weight. What, you're going to lose 20 pounds or add 20 pounds whenever the pull-ups feel too easy? Right. (laughs) You know, I have a friend who actually often says that he knows he's gaining too much weight if he can't do a set amount of pull-ups. Yeah, they say that you want to get a pull-up, lose 10 pounds, and then you'll get your pull-up. Yeah. (laughs) But the principle, it teaches very simple, similar principles, kettlebell training, I find, because these set size and bells and now you have to find other ways to manipulate things and manipulate variables so you can make, still get the training effect. Mm-hmm. And same with body weight training is much the same idea. Like if I can do five pull-ups, there's no way I'm going to add 10 pounds to that next week. It's like, what can I do now other than adding weight to make these pull-ups more efficient? Right. Makes sense. What else makes kettlebells such an effective but unique training tool? That's a great question. I personally just like the fact that it's anterior loaded and it teaches a lot about like rooting. So like staying rooted to the ground and like full body tension. Be- like for instance, if you're doing a goblet squat with kettlebells or a front rack uh, squat, a big limiting factor is how strong your upper body is, right? So even if I'm doing a snatch, a big limiting factor is how stable my shoulder is. Mm-hmm. So I think it finds um, kettlebell training finds a nice balance between strength and mobility or sorry, should I say stability and mobility? So stability was the amount of strength you have in the range of motion, so how strong you are within the range of motion. I would say mobility is the amount of range of motion you can control. Um, I find kettlebell training encompassing both sides, almost like a large circle, getting bits of both of them. So you're gaining the most amount of stability with an appropriate amount of mobility. Mm-hmm. And for especially people like us who are like training for life, uh, the clients we work with, majority of the gen pop, like that's exactly what the approach needs to be. When there's specificity, there comes a bit more of a gravitation towards one side versus the other. Like if you're training as for a yogi, you want to get more in the mobility, less in the stability. If you're training to be a power lifter, they, hey, let's gravitate. You don't want to squat ass the grass. Let's just squat to the depth that you need. So let's gravitate more towards stability. I find with kettlebell training though, it really prioritizes both, in my opinion. I've gained range of motions I've never had before in a way that I enjoy training because of kettlebells, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's also true that those two things go hand in hand. Like you can gain mobility from using a load in these ranges of motion that are different. Like as you gain, especially with a tool like kettlebells, as you gain more stability, you'll gain more mobility because you're using the end ranges that you can go to. I think kettlebells are also such a great way for people to access the idea of power for the first time Mm -hmm. and generating force. Like I think a swing, once someone's mastered a hinge, I think a swing is such a nice way for people to learn how to generate power and a pretty safe exercise. So it's a great tool for doing that as well. 
Yeah, I think you raised such a good point. Thank God you brought it up. So often <laughs> what the, uh, the two things you tend to lose uh, the most with age and also with detraining is power and cardiovascular conditioning, right? Power, most people don't train. And personally, I don't like training as well too because it tends to be a high risk, high reward type things. Like if I'm jumping, there's, there's more prone uh, or you're more prone to injury. You have to earn the right to start jumping around, doing all these plyometric movements. But with a kettlebell swing, you're planted rooted to the ground. So you're still creating that same snap, the same power, without necessarily the high risk of injury. So I agree with you 100% that it's probably the safest way to implement power, which you, for most people in the general population, don't really train. We know we're getting towards, we knew conditioning, we gravitated towards hypertrophy, the old school bodybuilders like the Arnold's, uh, now where everyone's getting more towards strength because the powerlifting is getting popular. Mm -hmm. But power still tends to be uh, that area where a lot of people are not getting towards because the only way to know power is like, hey, I got to be tracking field uh, sprinter, right? But kettlebell training is definitely filling in that void. I agree with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've experienced this with clients as well, but people love to blame external circumstances for why they're not progressing or why they might not be reaching their goals. So for example, life is getting in the way, family obligations are getting in the way, they're not sleeping enough. Like we love to just blame these other things. In your opinion, what really is holding people back from reaching their goals? It took a while for me to understand what I am as a coach. And I think as a coach, uh, and I learned this from Mike Israel, who's, uh, who's he's the owner of Renaissance Periodization. So a really smart guy who trains a lot as well too, but he kind of coined coaching, touching three different elements. And the first one being leadership, uh, second one being relationship, and then the third one being creative problem solving. Mm. And I really like that because if I touch back on like what brought success to me as a coach is the ability to kind of touch on those three things in that sort of order. So how well I can give leadership or ownership towards my client to be like, hey, you can trust me and if you trust me and if you work hard, we will get the results that you want to fight towards or work towards. Then from there, it's the ability to build that relationship and that trust to be like, hey, aunt, like life happens. You know, I understand you. Let's try. I'm going to try to understand you. You try to understand me. Let's try to figure this out. And in creative problem solving, this is the knowledge we have, how well we can. Are you feeling a little tight and a little back today? Okay, let's try this tool and see if that works. But in my personal experience, what I've noticed been the biggest obstacle is clients coming in with a very um, big goal, but not really having a plan, it often comes back down to how well I can build that trust to be like, hey, if we establish these kind of goals, micro goals, then that can probably lead us in that best direction. Then from there, it's like how well I can build up back to building a relationship so they can come back in and build a consistency. And I found that if my clients can stay uh, with me for a minimum two weeks without any cancellations, I'm leading closer and closer towards that goal. So even as a trainer, like I try my best not to um, reschedule any sessions because I find even if you mess around with times, it starts to mess around with their success as well too. And then from there, it's just auto-regulating based on how they feel throughout that day. So shit happens. Sometimes the toes hurt. Sometimes, I don't know, you might've sprained your finger. How can they still get in there and still get a training effect? Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think, I think a lot of what you're getting at is establishing the habit of training. We're doing it consistently. And even it's in such an interesting time because two weeks sounds like nothing. But if you do it consistently for two weeks, it's cool that that's kind of the turn that you see and that yeah. then they're like, good. Yeah. In two weeks, if I've noticed that clients never canceled on me, I'm like, okay, this is going to be successful. And it's also so interesting, those three things that you mentioned, like I respect your technical knowledge as a coach so much. I know that you've done so many courses to learn about the body and how it works and how to progress people and strength, all these things. But those three things you said are all soft skills, yeah, leadership, really relationships, creative problem solving, like being able to apply the concepts that you know, but apply them to this specific person. Like that's really interesting because I think that people think of the best coaches sometimes as the most knowledgeable, mm. but it's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And I actually just learned that the hard way. So when I started <laughs> the training, I often kind of what you were saying is I wanted to find the answers for everything. 
And so I would read uh, quite a few textbooks with these rigid protocols of how they successfully trained Olympic weightlifting athletes and track and field athletes and kind of like the structured and periodization tools that they use that dictated results. But a part of me like now starts to look back and think that maybe they just wrote that because they didn't know how to write the soft skills in there. Like how do you periodize soft skills in a textbook? How do you talk about the idea of individualization, the idea of leadership, the idea of creative problem solving when your athlete came in and, and um, it's not feeling so well today? The more I'm coaching, the more I'm realizing all those soft skills probably play a bigger role in how successful you are as a trainer. How do we start talking about that stuff more? How do we get that stuff into textbooks? It's tough because it's really, it depends kind of answer. There's no concrete black and white. Maybe we need to start teaching more leadership courses, you know, within training. There you go. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we need to diversify the, the kinds of courses or the way that courses are marketed to coaches because I think a lot of what's out there is very, is very technical for yeah. sure. Like if you even look at some of the most successful trainers, you know, they tend to be people are really great in those soft skills. 100%. The technical guys tend to be a bit more in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. So teach, I want to ask that question again, but I want to turn it a little more personal. So when you think about your goals and what you are striving for, what's that one thing that tends to hold you back? What's your thing that you need to overcome in order to reach your goals? Actually, my problem is very similar. I think my story as a, as a person who trains in the gym is very similar to a lot of other guys out there, uh, girls as well too. Uh, just anyone who really wants to go get it. Like for me, like training was all about, hey, let's go get it, hard work, and you're gonna, results are gonna come. Like just put it all on the table and you're gonna get it. And for me, it was definitely asking for too much at one time. So mm -hmm. I would have like three different goals at the one time. Like I wanna get my bench up, but I also wanna get my squat but I want to jump higher and then I want to look <laughs> lean. And so it was like, I had all these kind of goals at the same time. And what I've noticed, the more I've trained is that, Hey, if I actually like periodized it in a way where it's like, Hey, maybe these eight weeks, I'm going to focus on one lift. And then after that eight weeks, I'm going to be like, okay, let's switch towards, Hey, maybe the bench press. And I'm going to focus on how I'm going to progress the strength in my bench press, but then keep everything else in moderation and down. Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. I'm going on a cut, maybe my goal isn't to lift the most amount of weight. Maybe my goal now is more towards just maintaining. And then I'm really only manipulating like how I eat or my nutrition. So I think that's uh, been the one thing holding me back. And still to this day is that I often would want more than I actually can plan or work towards. And so it's all about just coming back. And that's why if you write a program, stick with it. I've noticed in my early years of training, I would write programs i look at it on paper, be like, this is money. This is going to work. I'll be two weeks into that program. And then I'll hear a podcast about this variable. If you try this, if you do that, you're going to be able to do this. And I'll be like, okay, I got to do that. I got to add it in. Like, I remember my first ever power lifting meet, which was uh, about three years ago, I was training for it. And if you know about training for powerlifting, the simplest rule you can follow is there's an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. So the further you are away from your powerlifting meet, uh, the more volume you should have. And gradually, as you get closer towards the meat, taper the volume, but increase the intensity. So start increasing that load. So I was training for this powerlifting meet. And then I, I was training for also, I ran into this when I ran into Kane, who what he does is this crazy challenge where he does 2,000 pull-ups at the end of every year. And you did so, this while you were training for your powerlifting yeah, meet? I was training for my powerlifting meet. And then oh I was God. also training to perform... 2,000 pull-ups in one session. So I managed to do okay in both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never strive That's... greatness in any one. You just end right. up being okay in everything you train towards. Right. Way. Yeah. I totally get that wanting to do all the things at one time and yeah. like my brain just being fascinated to learn all the different things. But it's such a good point that when you have clarity and one big goal, it really allows you to carve the the path of least resistance towards that thing. Maybe if you've got like all these things going on, you get there in this roundabout confusing way, sure. But if you really have a goal, something that you care about, honing in on that and structuring everything else in your life to help support that, I think really is the best way to do it. Maybe path of least resistance. Yeah, exactly. So even training at home, 
I was like, hey, what's one exercise I can improve in? And then for me, it was just the clean and press. Mm -hmm. So everything else I do, I give a lot of auto-regulation for. So it's like, let's see how I feel. Maybe I'll do some of this. And there's a bit of structure, but it's still very loose. Only thing on paper is just the clean and press. And that's the main thing I'm focusing on progressing. Cool. I think a lot of people can learn from that. Definitely. I'm pretty impressed by the fact that you're only training three times a week. I don't know. I feel like when we were uh, back in cardio go, I saw you training at least six days a week. So is this like a mentality shift that you cut it back or is it specific to the goals that you're working on now? Or I don't know, have you gotten to a point where you realize that that's enough? Mm. I probably will go back to six times a week. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) okay. Like the idea of training at home can be tough. Mm-hmm. So just going three times a week, I find I can have three very structured locked in sessions where I'm getting it. And then I have a lot more freedom to just go out and do whatever I want. Yeah. So I do like go on light jogs or a bit of like some light sprint drills, but they're more just excuses, not structure, just excuses to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. But I do think like I'm already kind of planning what I want to do when I get back to the gym. I do think I'm, I'm going to up my frequency as well too. This is what I'll say to you in terms of how often you train throughout the week. Think about frequency as being a personal way to organize how you train within the week. So if you're a person that only likes to train three times a week, or you don't really like training, maybe the lower frequency is probably a better idea for you. I love training. I I can spend like three, four hours in the gym and it's just fly by. It's all right. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't tell my clients to do the same thing. Like, yeah. you're, you're here more than 90 minutes. What are you doing? You're not trading. Right. You know? So that's how you kind of think about frequencies. Frequencies are where you can organize what you want to do throughout that week based on, like, how often you want to train. Mm-hmm. So and it's, so, it's I, such a good point that it's so individualized exactly. to what do you enjoy? What do you like? What makes sense in your life? You have to, and what stage of your life are you in? Like Satish in quarantine is different than Satish in normal life. And like understanding that is super important. I often assess based on how frequent they want to be. If they're already meeting a lot of resistance and stuff to get in the gym, then often just twice a week is enough. But then that dictates the programming of this session, right? right? And so for me, if I'm going six times, it's more of like a spread. And that's why I said I have more specialty kind of days where I'm focusing on different things. Versus now, it's like a bit more structured towards just the clean and press. Cool. Satish, at this point in your career, what are you most proud of? And that's a great question. Um, I think I'm proud I didn't take the route of joining some sort of office job. (laughs) I'm happy that I was selfish enough to be like, this is something I really like. So let's follow a career in it. Because I get the luxury to, to selfishly learn about training. And as much as it is for my clients, quote unquote, a big part of it is really just for me and like how, how much more knowledge I can acquire. And you're much the same. You have that same growth mindset. And for us, I think what drives us is the ability to constantly be learning. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm very happy with myself, especially coming from um, a Sri Lankan background. We often meet a lot of resistance with um, these kind of creative entrepreneur kind of careers. Like, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was really happy to know, like, it, it makes me proud to know that I've, I chase something I genuinely love. Um, and I find a way to where I can make it impactful like, with the community as well, too. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. You call it selfish, but I don't see it that way at all. And I don't know if you actually meant that, but I just see it as like you have this passion and you clearly have such a passion for what you do and always learning more and wanting to find the most effective strategies and, you know, problem solve better and be more creative in the gym, all these things, like you can just feel it from you when you're on the floor. So that, that's what makes you such a good coach. Like that's what allows you to share all of that with clients and change their lives that much more because if you didn't have that and you didn't have that fire, then your clients wouldn't benefit, benefit from it either. Mm-hmm. So you've chosen a profession that, that allows you to take that passion and share it with everyone else. That's a very good point. But I also do like validation. <laughs> so <laughs> when, when me and my clients get a win, uh, it's funny, I have a running joke with one of my clients that every time someone comments on my Instagram that on her pull-ups, uh, I often thank them. Or I tell them, like, thank you, as, or, as if owning up to the compliment that they're giving my client. 
right. like, to be you see it as yours yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there is there is an element of validation but i come back to your point i think it's um like i, I understand that ego is a big part for me but as long as it's not the number one driver it's important that you kind of acknowledge that it's there Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. me, and even for you, just the ability to learn, the passion of learning is definitely the number one thing that drives me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Would you say you have an ego? For sure. I, I feel like, yeah. I mean, you know my relationship with Aldo. <laughs> so, sometimes it's I do, but the listeners something. might not. Do you want to explain it? <laughs> well, well, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like sometimes he'll be in there, he'll try something. I'll walk into the gym, ready for my ses- session, and then he'll be like, "Steve, I don't think you can snatch this." You must be crazy. 100% I'm going to try to snatch it. And so there is a bit of that ego as well, too. But competitiveness. It's, it's a yeah, drive. Competitiveness. Yeah. But yeah. it's important to, to know that you have it and make sure that it's not the number one thing that's driving you in your success in your career. So for me, it's like a good way I like to think about it is it's there, but it's in the backseat. <laughs> so it's not, it's not controlling where I'm going. Like I'm, I really hope that it's my impact on the community, how well... I can help people grow is the number one thing I'm focusing on. Um, and this is when having like mentors like, like Eldo, like Gabe, older people who can kind of sit down and uh, help you kind of find what your mission statement is so you can stay true to that. But also acknowledge that, hey, ego is also important. And you can sometimes use that uh, to build confidence. So with, without my ego, I wouldn't be as active as I am on my Instagram. Or I wouldn't be as confident uh, teaching a class of like, Sometimes we have, with the new space, we have classes as big as 40 people, you know, like a corporate wellness class. Like, without that ego, I wouldn't have the confidence to stand in front of these people and be like, hey, guys, I am that person of leadership. Let's try to listen to me. I will guide you the right way. So I think having an ego is important. And yes, I do have an ego. No, that's such a great point, though. Like, I think that um, any quality, right, there's a light side and a dark side to any human quality that we have and having the awareness that it sounds like you have cultivated to understand how it's manifesting in your life and how it's affecting you as a human, as a coach, and what do you want to lead with versus hold a little bit closer. Um, I think that that's the important stuff and that, that awareness is really, is really key. Would you say you have an ego? I think everyone has an ego. Yeah. I think it's, it's human to have an ego. Yeah. I don't think I'm an ego driven person. I don't think I come across that way. I think I could actually stand to have a little bit more because I think it would make me more confident in some mm-hmm. of the things that I should be standing up for and speaking mm-hmm. out more about. But yeah, you really just flipped that one. Now you're making um, me think. Yeah. Everyone yeah. has one. Like yeah, that is sure. part of what is being human. But I definitely don't think I'm someone that leads with that. Mm. Based on what you know, you're always so reciprocal to uh, learning information and putting yourself out there. I think it's important to have that as well, too. For sure. Okay, tell me a little bit more about what's going on in your life in quarantine. Is there anything that you've been doing? I mean, you're getting a puppy, so that's exciting. What kind of dog is it? Uh, American Bulldog. No way. Yeah, cute little guy. (laughs) That's great. It'll be a male? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. That's so cute. You would get a bulldog. That's great. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else that's going on in quarantine that's different than your normal life? Anything that you're going to continue once quarantine's over? I I would like to continue like daily reading I'm doing when it comes to like, like some literature out there when it comes to training. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, I really enjoy the walks and that's why what uh, pursued me to actually get a puppy. So it forced me to kind of get outside, get a walk almost like that sense of clarity. So that would probably be the two big things that I want to get forward with. Um, when I was actually back working in the gym, my meals were much more structured. Uh, today, More structured, yeah. huh? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely had much more planning with my meals when I was like working from the gym. Now there's a lot more just like waking up, see how I feel and cooking based on how I feel throughout that day. And there's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy both of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I probably will need to get more towards planning throughout the week. And it's just a personal thing. Everyone's a little different. Uh, just because cooking takes a bit more time for me. Yeah. Uh, What's the best thing you can cook? Oh, man, I'm just a creative chef. I, I can never repeat a recipe. I'll say that once. You just wing it? Oh, 100%. Oh, wow. There's two people in life. There's cookers and bakers. Kanila's a, a baker. My girlfriend's a baker. So, 
yeah, everything's a recipe on the money. Pop, pop, mm-hmm. pop. Me, I'm in there. I'm in the kitchen. I'm like a little bit of salt, a little bit of turmeric, a little bit of cumin. Bang, bang. And just like create a, a sort of this concoction of <laughs> of a meal. Nice. Uh, I hope to be healthy. But uh, the best thing I can cook is probably a, a curry, some sort of chicken curry. Yeah. Nice. Be delicious. Yeah. Classic. What about I you, love it. cooker or baker? I'm a cooker for sure. Yeah, cooker. Right? Yeah. 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 Going for it. Yeah. It's fun. And it's taken me a while actually to get to that point though, because at first I think when you start out cooking, you don't understand ingredients. So you think that one teaspoon of salt is way different than two teaspoons. And then you realize like once you've done it for a while, you realize, okay, like it's not that different. Like I'll just put enough in and it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Kind of get a pinch. It's, It's kind of like nutrition a little bit in a sense. Like I often say that you track not to track. So currently right now, I'm not really tracking. Uh, and it's because I have a good job. I've been tracking for most of my, my life in university. And now I'm getting away from that because I have a good sense of an idea of like how much protein I need to get in the day. But it's only because I spent some time tracking. So it's like building that knowledge, I think, to eventually where you can be a bit more creative. And cooking is much the same. You, you I have Julia's uh, child's cookbook, actually where you you follow it to the t and then after a while you kind of be like wait i can substitute this a bit and add a little bit more take a little bit less and so you can start to be a bit more creative or individualized with your cooking very well said exactly awesome all right satish well this has been a blast do you have anything to add before we sign off no i think i'm good i think you're doing a great job i'm i'm really happy to see your growth with this podcast, it's been amazing. I remember you talking about it two, three years ago. I miss seeing you in the gym, but it is what it is. Well, you guys had to go build your freaking beautiful yeah, facility and leave us. So I blame you on that one. That's true. We might need <laughs> you guys to come back in post quarantine though. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe fair. you guys would get one half. We're there just- we go. <laughs> okay, Satish, um, if people want to learn more from you, maybe they want to get some coaching from you. Are you doing online coaching right now? You are, right? Yeah, online coaching. Um, You can reach out to me via my Instagram, which is Satish underscore FitSquad. Or you can reach out to FitSquad. We take care of things as well there. So FitSquad underscore training. Cool. And obviously, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing over there. So I'll link all that up in the show notes in case anyone wants to reach out. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Satish. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing... Please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on how do you feel. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.